When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Podcast got Andy Junker back here with me, and we're going to talk about kids coming back to the farm and what that looks like. So, Andy, I know you've got a lot of experience in this, and and I'm looking forward to it. But before we get yeah. too far and carried away in that, here we are, you know, planting seasons in full swing. What's it like in your neck of the woods, and when you seeing up your way? I, I think about ten percent of the fields. Um, now, I've been off the farm here for a couple of days, but on Sunday there was about ten percent of the fields were were the, the guys were were going all over. So I was pretty impressed by how much has already been planted here in, in Eastern Iowa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know about your part of the world. How, how about you? We're seeing a lot of field work right now. Um, guys are planting for sure, but not hundred percent in the field, everybody. So, uh, everyone's in the field doing something, not necessarily planting, but I think this time next yeah. week, you know, we're talking there. It is the, uh, what is today? The, uh, what is today? The fourth, fourth of May. So, yeah. you know, probably next five to 10 days for sure. Yeah. It'll be nothing but planters running around, and we'll be we'll be. Yeah, so. I, I was surprised on Sunday as to how many planters are actually in the field. Right, yeah. I thought they would just be doing field work, but it was actual planters going hard. So, um, yeah, uh, I know in northern Minnesota they're they're just still doing, and uh, Wisconsin, um, they're 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 doing, um, they're just still doing spring barley and 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 grains, yeah, um, and alfalfa. But 
Yeah. So, yeah. So good. Good. All right. Well, it's that time of the year. You've got, uh, college is about done here and a lot of seniors coming back, uh, getting graduated from college and coming back home or at least going through that process of coming back home, whatever that is. Some coming back home means you're going to spend two to five years working someplace else before you come home. Yeah. Some of that is, uh, you're coming back and starting to go. And so I guess, yeah, a little bit about that. Uh, from your perspective, well, I mean, I mean, for starters, before we even get any further, I really do think there's some value um, to going off the farm for a couple of years yep. and getting off farm experience. And and I have had a lot of farmers say, "Well, my kid can't get the same type of experience um, off farm as I could give them here." And um, then five years later, they're calling me because um, there's you know maybe some uh, or or they make the argument, "Hey, I can't afford to." Um, you know, my kid can do twice as much work as a hired man could. I can't afford to have my kids go off the farm and, you know, we just can't afford that. Um, and then five years later, they're in a mess. So I think that getting an off-farm experience is is uh, invaluable to developing work work ethic and maturity uh, before they come home to the farm and cannot emphasize that enough. Have you seen, uh, what, what, what's your, been your experience related to that, Casey? You know, if, uh, to me, uh, there's, I've, I don't know that many farm families that, that have that stipulation. Hey, before you want to come back to the farm, you know, you got to go spend a little time doing something else someplace else. Um, the ones that I have known that have done that, um, I've seen two things happen. I've seen um, come back to the farm and they appreciate the farm more than what they, than what they thought yeah. they did. And some kids go off and go work for Cargill or Bungie or whatever, yeah. you know, do whatever John Deere or whatever. And realize that maybe the farm wasn't what I really wanted to do. This is what I really want to do. And uh, they didn't, they didn't come back. They just, they spent yeah. the rest of their, their working career uh, off the farm and, you know, they come back and help, help with harvest and playing season, those kind of things. But it wasn't the day in day out um, functionality of the farm that you see. I, I think I'm with you. I think it's a great idea. I mean, and any yeah. family business, whether it's farming or an engineering firm or whatever it is, having that outside touch point of a, of a different, um, different set of scenarios and a different, uh, environment. Yeah. You learn a lot when you're not, when you're not just getting stuff down the throat with the things and, and philosophies of, of a single person. Um, yeah. you know, see so you learn outside the box. And I think that's very important in any, I, 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 I think what's really important is your, your son or daughter has an experience out of state. Yeah. You know, if, if, um, like I remember a friend back home, he hired um, his nephew worked for the neighbors and essentially the neighbors kept that kid on because they didn't want the uncomfortable fact of having a beer with their friend, their neighbors, um, the fact that you fired their kid, right? You're going to be, um, so a lot, of, I see a lot of family farms where the kid works for the kid, a neighbor down the road. And that's a good experience when you're in high school, but to actually have the experience of working for a neighbor uh, for for somebody out of state where you're objectively being evaluated based on your performance, there's no family loyalty or favoritism. And, you know, if you your son and daughter get fired, um, that might be the best thing for them as far as a learning experience um, of how the real world works and uh, can be really invaluable um, to eliminating a sense of entitlement when they come home to the farm. Yeah. And and I think that, uh, you know, there's there's life experiences of, you know, not having – you know, there's some certain favors that you, when you live close to home, you might live in a house that's owned by the family mm-hmm. and not have to pay rent. Whereas if you live in a different state, you have to pay rent. Um, you have to pay, you know, 
for everything. And um, you may not save as much money in that two-year period that you're away from home as, as, as you would if you lived on the, just down the road. Um, but the life experiences it brings to the farm long-term is huge. Yep. So that's my, my, my suggestion. And, and very few farmers actually take it. So as a result, um, there's some problems in the, in the future. But yep. if you have the opportunity to take it. Yep, I, I agree with you, too. I think it's an internship, just like anything else. Absolutely. You know? It's the same concept. Absolutely. And, that's and I think I think that every son and daughter should prove that they're this tall to get on the right. Yeah. Right. Go go prove you can work for somebody else before you come and take over a family business that's been in the family for seven genera- uh, several generations of yep. hard work to get it to, to where it's at. Yep, exactly. So, yeah. All right. So we've talked about this quite a bit on here, and there's the, the all the moving parts and the minutia of – of the partnerships that come along in the family farm and then what that looks like. If you could sit down with any fam- farm family coming in uh, that, that have, that have uh next generation coming in to work full time. Yeah. farm, What three things would you sit down and talk to them about and what, how, what direction would you point them in those? At the, the, with well, the- I, I think the overall thing is that um, nobody gets married expecting to get a divorce and right. nobody goes home to farm with their family expecting there's ever going to be problems. Right. And we have a 50% divorce rate in our general society. And, and you think about the neighbors and the kids that really wanted to farm 20 years ago, and now they're not farming. It's about 50% divorce rate in, in family farms. And uh, we really don't know how many people are actually in happy marriages. We really don't know how many, how many farm families where they're truly behind the barn happy. We, everybody pretends to be happy, but how many people are actually are? And I think that there's a statistic that we do know is that 12% of farms are successful in being passed over from grandma to grandchildren. And I think it's pretty damn similar uh, statistic when it comes to marriage. I think that fewer than 10, uh, 12% of marriages are actually, can be truly classified as being happily married. And I think that the differentiating factor is, you know, do you enter into the relationship from a sense of entitlement where you enter the relationship saying, you know, you're, you're married to me and now you're stuck with me? Because those type of marriages those are the marriages where you're getting divorced. Or are you entering the relationship saying uh, with a sense of humility and saying, you know what, there's only a 12% chance that this is going to be successful. So we've got to do everything we can proactively to prevent problems from occurring. Yeah. And that's, that's true whether it's, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of churches, they insist on prenuptial courses before somebody gets married. Um, you know, there's a real difference as to the quality of those courses. Um, but you know, if you can, if you can get the fundamentals in place as to, you know, simple things like how we're going to solve conflict, how we're going to plan our finances when it comes to marriage counseling, uh, it's uh, as a pre-marriage course before you get married, that can really help you get off on the right foot. And the same way, as you come home to the farm, I suggest three simple things. It comes, I mean, something that's sticky to remember comes down to daily, monthly, and quarterly. So every every week, every day, I want you to, as a family, plan out the, the the activities for the next day together as a family. Not, and we'll get into that in a second. And then every month, I want you to sit down, problem solve, and identify one problem in how you work together, one problem in the production of the farm, and one opportunity to make the farm better, and one opportunity to improve how we work together. And then every quarter, I want every partner to identify three things about how they work together as a family. That you want to turn as a friction point from a, from a negative in the culture of your family to, to a positive. And then three things each individual has got to turn from a weakness and character into a strength. And if you can do that every 90 days, 
and everybody's self-improving and you're improving how you guys work together as a family. Um, man, over a course of a year, that's 12 improvements in the character of each individual and 12 improvements how your family works together. And that's a golden way to get everybody off the on the right foot. And so we can get into these in a little bit more detail, Casey, but that's big picture. It's I, the three suggestions I have is get problem solve. How are you going to problem solve together as a, as a family up front instead of having 10 years of bickering and, you know, really having dysfunctional relationships and as a result, dysfunctional farm as a result. No. Okay. All right. So you talked about sitting down doing the week, uh, daily, weekly, monthly stuff. And, and what's that? Yeah. Like, how's it work? Where's the best place to do that at? And is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? When, when's the best time to sit down and have that discussion? I, I think it shouldn't be sitting down. I think it should be like five to seven minutes. Okay. And, and I think that it should be a phone call and, um, and simply have it at sunset. Um, a lot of families, they, they'll, you know, the son and daughter will show up to the shop at eight o'clock in the morning and then wait for the patriarch um, to show up to the shop and give them the instructions for the day. Um, there's three problems I have with that. Um, you know, half the day is gone by eight o'clock in the morning. Right. You know, before everybody gets out of bed in the morning, everybody should have knowledge as to who's doing what for the day and how can I help my partner out with that. And really, I mean, your, your day should start a lot earlier than, than eight o'clock if you want to get home in decent time. I mean, you got to start your day a lot earlier as far as I'm concerned in order to get the work done so that you can have a quality family life beyond the farm. And then the, the, the second thing is that what's really important is that there's a lot of farms where there's a, a patriarch that shows up to the shop and gives instructions as to what to do. And there's a 35 or 40 year old um, that is essentially a glorified employee. And so what I really think is important is that the, the successor, as they come home to the farm, they identify the jobs that have to be done. They're the ones that should be suggesting their schedule for the forthcoming day. And they should be suggesting that first. And then the patriarch or matriarch and the Uncle Bill and whoever's got more senior leadership in the farm should have that at that point say, well, should this activity not be more of a priority than that activity? And what and half I mean, through that process, what you're doing is you're teaching your son and daughter to critically think. Right. about how they're investing their time and critically think about the long, the success of the operation. And there's a lot of farms where, you know, a son and daughter in their 40s and they've just taken instructions from their dad every day what to do. Well, when dad passes away, they don't know how to organize their time. And then there's a bigger question about they don't really understand the goals of the business. And so, you know, by having a phone call for five to seven minutes, I, I really encourage everybody to have a weekly meeting uh, to kind of lay out the lay of the land for the week, like the agenda for the week. But obviously you're going to tweak that at a nightly phone call and it shouldn't be more than seven minutes. And, it, and you know, everybody should have it. If it's at eight o'clock, um, if somebody is more than 30 seconds late, they have to burn $5 or have some sort of penalty. You don't want everybody waiting around for somebody to get to the phone phone because there's nothing more uncomfortable than that two minute gap waiting for somebody to show up to, to a conference call. But that can be, if you can have that phone call, then you can eliminate half the phone calls in the forthcoming day. And more importantly, you're teaching your sons and daughters um, how to think critically. And, you know, if if a son and daughter are challenged by dad or grandpa, shouldn't you be doing this or instead of that? 
um, half the time the son and daughter are going to say, you know what, this is why I'm thinking that we should do it this way. And it's either going to lead to a situation where the son and daughter challenge the status quo and improve the efficiency of the farm as far as how you organize your time, or it's going to result in the successor learning the wisdom of why we've done things the way we've done that things. Right. And, and what I'm really focused on is, is, you know, it's like kindling on the fire. You start with a small uh, sticks first before you add larger and larger logs to the fire. Through this process, you're starting off by the family learning to bicker about small decisions. I'd rather have a patriarch, a grandpa and granddaughter argue about what's the granddaughter and grandpa doing on Thursday afternoon, how are we most effectively using our time instead of having. And so the, the, the patriarch gets used to listening to a different opinion about how to do things and learns to not just talk over, but listen to what the granddaughter is saying. And the two of them learn to look, look at options instead of it always being my way or the highway. We're learning to make decisions together. And through that process, then we can escalate it to monthly meetings and then quarterly meetings, uh, basically annual meetings where we're talking a lot about long-term strategic planning. If the only time you ever sit down and have a family meeting is once a year, um, then you're not going to have the skills as a family to problem solve. Right. And as a result, you're going to have a problem when it comes to business expansion or succession planning. Yep. Yep. So I, I'm a big fan of, and we've talked about this before, big fan yeah. of Stream ownership, Jocko Willink stuff, and Leif Babbitt stuff there over at Ushel on front. And you know, the four laws of combat, you know, cover moves, simple, prioritize, and execute. And yeah. Man. And I think what you're talking about there uh, are two things. One is, um, is probably decentralized command is, I think, to me, is one of the most important things. And that when I try to manage the people I work with and the people I work with me, um, you know, I try to, I try to use that where, you know, I'm giving them, what I think their best skill set is to handle and, and to run with and, and, to, and to make up that plan for what we're going to do for the, for either whatever project we're working through or whatever it is. And to me, it makes a lot of sense because then, you know, if you're trying to run uh, a huge dairy farm or a multifaceted cow calf operation and you got a farming operation yeah. that goes along with that functionally one person running all that just doesn't work, right? You got to have, people have to run those separate components of that yeah. and report back up to what, what's going on and those kind of things, issues. That yeah. have come. The other uh, side of that on the cover move side on that to me is, is the alignment side of how everyone has to kind of has to end up being on the same page. Yeah. You know, what you think is the direction we should go and the direction I think we should go. If we both think that we are on the same page, but we never actually communicate what the actual goals and objectives are. We both think we're pulling the same way, but we're actually going off and we're veering off in different directions. And next thing you know, yeah. we're so apart that how did we even get here where we started at? And I think those are some really key points that you're just pointing out there. Uh, first of all, you want to explain who Jocko Willink is because I think everybody should uh, know of him because he's uh, he's yeah. got, he's got some great books that everybody can be listening to while they're uh, while they're driving uh, driving equipment this spring. Yeah, so Jocko Willink and Leif Babin are two uh, retired Navy SEALs, and they wrote a book called Extreme Ownership, and then they wrote a follow-up book called Dichotomy of Leadership, and then Jocko has wrote, written several um, other books on his own um, that have to do with leadership, and their philosophy is, and they have a, con a consultancy group called Echelon Front, and the, basically the uh, their theory is every problem that you have within any organization at all, whether it's family or business or military, or whatever it is, it's a leadership comes down to leadership and, and how that leadership performs to um, 
from the not just from the top down, but from the bottom up too. So yeah, it's uh basically those philosophies come together and they they talk about these four basic concepts. Uh, these laws of combat cover move simple, prioritize and execute and decentralize command and what they mean and how they operate within those systems. And, and really, um, it's, you know, I kind of, when I talk about used equipment with folks, I always say used equipment, the philosophy of used equipment and, and, and doing used equipment stuff, whether it's valuing equipment or whatever it is, it's so easy. It's the discipline that, that comes into play when you have to make those tough decisions on what it is you're going to do and how you're going to implement those plans, that's where it's hard. And I think that's the same concept with leadership and especially what you're talking about is yeah. it's easy to come up with a plan. It's hard to maintain that same discipline uh, going through that plan and implementing the hard things that you need to have and have those hard conversations and, and understand that in order for, you know, grandpa Fred to pass it down to, to son or daughter down here, he has to let go of the reins at some at some yeah. point, and whether that's a gradual release and let them go, yeah. can't micromanage. And that's one big thing they talk about too. You can't micromanage everything to death and then hope that you have good outcomes and people are happy to be there. Not a human on the earth likes to be micromanaged. Yeah, and I, I think that a lot of farms, there's a son and daughter in their thirties, um, where they're told by grandpa what to do every day, and essentially they feel like a slave. And as a result, they, they adapt a slave's mindset. Um, and whereas if you have a son and daughter and they're at whatever age, but I encourage it at early 20s, if the son says, by tomorrow night, I'm going to get X, Y, Z done. So the son and son says, okay, these uh, son, let's say the daughter or the granddaughter says, okay, these are the seven tasks that I think I need to get done. But she specifies one thing that absolutely by tomorrow night at sunset, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that that one task gets done. And she prioritizes that over other things. And for her to learn how to prioritize, what's the priority? And for her to have the accountability to follow through on that and to be asked next sunset, did you get that done? Yes or no. And to not, I mean, you know, for her, her to not come up with excuses why, why, oh, can wait till tomorrow. But, you know, if she made a commitment to try to get done, she's going to try to do whatever she can to make it make it happen. Now, there's obviously going to be breakdowns that you can't anticipate, and they're allowable. But to have that sense of accountability, if, the, if, if they get told by grandpa that this has to get done, it probably won't get done. But if the, if the granddaughter said, I'm going to do everything I can to get this one thing done, she's probably going to follow through with it. And I think that there's a lot of family farms where they have this issue with motivation and accountability in their operation. And so if you have all the partners volunteer what they're planning to do tomorrow and then be challenged, hey, is this, a, is this not a priority instead of that? But then there's an agreement. Okay, this is the game plan for tomorrow. Now, just like playing football, you know, every time you, you have a huddle, not every huddle goes as planned. Like you're going to have breakdowns you can't anticipate. But if you, I mean... If you played foot, if you had a two foot, uh, two different teams playing against each other, one team had a football huddle, and one team chose not to have a huddle before each play. Which team is going to win the game? Obviously, the team that has the huddle, and and I think that that's really important. But coming back to um, the other thing I do within the the, uh, uh, the that seven minute phone call, I get every partner to identify one thing that they don't want to do. But they should do that takes less than 15 minutes to do. 
And that sense of accountability, like we procrastinate, whether it's making a phone call to lawyers about dealing with the neighbors that you want to put off or just cleaning out the truck, having that sense of accountability and doing the jobs you that are really most important to the farm and also making sure that the jobs that nobody wants to do but should do get done is going to make your organization over 365 days so much different and so much more productive. And the family works together as a team instead of one person being the slave, uh, slave uh, one person being the boss and the rest of the family being slaves. Okay. All right. So you kind of laid out what a daily meeting looks like. What's the difference between a monthly and a quarterly meeting? What are you doing on those? Well, I think the thing before we go any further, Case, we should talk about with Jocko, you just, just mentioned Jocko. You're going to have him speak at your conference in September 11th, right? In Nashville? Not Jocko, but uh, I wish. Uh, Sean uh, Sean Glass, he's works with them as well, and he's the uh, he's uh, he's part of Echelon from. But yeah, that he one of their speakers, one of their trainers are going to come speak. He's, he's a former Navy SEAL, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that sounds that sounds like a really good conference. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun too. Um, so, anyways, what were you saying about uh, the other questions there? So uh, what. What's the difference between a monthly meeting and a quarterly meeting? What do you what do you accomplish in those? Well, with the monthly meeting, what I want to do is is identify um, is is basically where where you take a stone out of your shoe. You know, basically every month I want to identify one problem you have working together, both related to production. So solving production problems, like if your cows are not getting pregnant, why not? And sit down and have a family discussion where you problem solve together as a family about solving a couple, a one production issue. And then solve one problem as far as how you guys work together. Make one a suggestion for an improvement to your farm's, how your family's habits and how you guys work together. So let's say that if, if grandpa's constantly critical and constantly negative and, and doesn't provide solutions to problems, just complains about problems, you might say, uh, that's, that's just in front of my mind. That's what we came up with in a family meeting yesterday. The family said, okay, don't be critical or negative. Provide constructive solution to problems. And the family's going to adapt that as a habit, right? And over the next, 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 next year, if, if we can make one improvement like that every month, it's a game changer to how the operation works together. And the same thing from a production standpoint, if you can solve one production problem that's costing your farm money, um, and by, by everybody listen, learning to, instead of talking over top of each other and being bossy and kind of shoving their solution on everybody, you look at things five different ways and look at different options and different ways to skin the cat and together come up with a solution together instead of one person being bossy. Um, if you fundamentally problem solve how you problem solve and evolve how you make decisions together as a family, um, then, you know, it's, it's like, a, like I said, with the log on the fire, you're adding larger and larger logs. And so two years down the road, you can sit down and do succession planning, or if it comes down to doing expansion of the, 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 the dairy, um, barn, you know, you can weigh the pros and cons of these, of these compl- complex decisions more in a more sophisticated way, because your family has been problem solving, um, on a monthly and week, uh, daily basis for the last two years. And so there's nothing that you guys can't, and whatever problem you have, whether it's an expansion of the dairy or dealing with succession plan or a major crisis that hits your family, you guys could solve those problems together. Instead of one person always having to be right, um, it's more important. You learn that it's more important to make the right decision and you surrender your egos and you're able to listen to each other. Yeah. And I think that's really important to do up front instead of having 10 years of bickering with your family to figure 
out how do we work out, how do we transition from a parent-child to professional working relationship, I think up front as a son and daughter come home on the farm, you should adapt that best habit of having monthly meetings to problem solve together so that, you know, I don't know what problems you're going to have in the future, but I guarantee you at some point in the next decade, you're going to have a really complex problem. And what determines whether or not your farm is able to, to get past that problem is the, the ability of your family to problem solve. Yep. And so to, to develop that skill up front is absolutely critical. Yep. All right. So I think this is this is something that I've noticed a little bit as this yeah. generational gap starts to starts to emerge. So um there was a I can't Facebook, Instagram, one of them or what it was, but there was a there's a meme that came up and it showed uh grandpa sitting on a park bench with his arm around his daughter and and he looks at looks at his granddaughter and looks over at the granddaughter and said, You know what me and you have in common against you know you know what me and you have in common right now? And then the next picture is him pointing at mom and dad over there. And he's like a common enemy. And he was pointing to his, you know, yeah, whatever, you know. Well, I think as I take a look around and just kind of my observations that I make when I'm out calling on, you know, customers and those kind of things. And you're, and you're seeing what's going on. It feels like there's a generation that's getting skipped in the farm right now. I mean, you've got the, the 80 something year old patriarch, matriarch, whoever's running the, the, the farm they haven't stepped down yet. They're still holding the purse strings and still making some pretty significant calls. Uh, mom and dad are there, um, and they've they're 55, 60 years old, and and yeah. Then you've got son or daughter coming back in that are you know twenty something, thirty something year old, and and a lot of the energy that you see put getting put back into the farm from the from the eldest generation is going down, is skipping all the way over that and going down to. Um, the grandkids that are coming back into the operation. I, I would, I would agree with you that that happens a lot. Um, my, my issue is just how we make decisions together in our business culture. And, um, and it's essentially um, like Thomas Henry Ford, when he built Ford motor company, he, he, he defined our business culture for the last century. Um, you know, we basically had an agrarian culture and then he said, I'm going to pay people five times the going wage. I'm going to hire the best and fire the rest. And so, you know, his attitude was that I, and he was right by the 1930s, he had that model T Ford and he had people lined up down the street and wanted to work for him. And basically what was happening was in model T Fords, they were driving these cars out of the factory and they were breaking down the parking lot. And they hired a guy named Edward Deming. He's an Iowa farm boy from, um, um, you know, and basically has PhD in statistics. And they hired this this uh, farm boy to say, okay, who should we fire? Who is at fault? Who's to blame for this issue? And so Deming watched the factory, and he's seen a thousand people uh, touching that car. And uh, you know, the the common phrase to either buy a car that's not built on Mondays or Fridays. And, and that was what was happening is that if you have a thousand people touching the car, well, everybody's going to make one mistake during the week. And the problem was that they, everybody was afraid of being fired. And the problem we had was that uh, because nobody wanted to get fired, they always swept on the mistakes under the carpet instead of owning up to them. And they got really good at shifting blame. And that's the culture we have in agriculture now is that, you know, it's, it's I mean, I'm not going to get into politics about uh, uh, Trump, 
But we all seen The Apprentice, The Celebrity Apprentice, where Trump had that game show where basically he had, um, you know, two, competition between two teams. One team won, and then one team was stuck in the boardroom, and half the show was about who was to, at fault. And and we can have discussion about whether or not uh, Trump is a great leader or not. But the thing is, is that what we have an issue with is that, you know, spending your time wasting about who's it to blame and then at the end of the show, firing somebody is, is, is fine if you're in New York City, but it doesn't work on the family farm. Because the thing is that every five years on the family farm, what we're seeing is there's always a scapegoat for the farm's problems. There might be in that situation when you talk about the park bench where grandpa's got, got his arms around his grandchild and saying, you know, you know we have a common enemy and uh, 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 we have a common enemy. What I often see is a situation where there's three brothers in a partnership and one brother, you know, tends to sleep in late and he shows up to the, um, shows up late and he's a bit dysfunctional, drinks too much as a, as a guy in his twenties. And the family has an intervention and says, son, we think that, uh, you're not working out here and, uh, you'd be a really good feed salesman. And that's how feed salesmen are created. <laughs> But the thing is, is that <laughs> they love it when I speak at feed conferences and tell, say, say that. But the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, a couple years later, that you got two brothers and they're tired of dad constantly um, being the boss. And then the two brothers basically vote, uh, say, dad, either you're going to do succession planning or, or we're going to um, or, or we're going to quit and you can milk these damn cows yourself. And then you, you've got two brothers and they get along fine, but one brother can't stand the other brother's wife. And that's all because they, they all had problems with each other. They, they had like a stone in your shoe that rubbed you and rubbed you and rubbed you the wrong way. But you didn't sit down for a minute and solve these problems. You just dealt with these problems and you mis and pretend that there was no problems. And the pro pretend the problems were somebody else's fault, not yours. And you shifted, and that's where we get into bickering on the family farms. And what we got to do as a family is we got we we we're really good at working hard. We're I believe in one percent inspiration, ninety nine percent perspiration. We're really good at the ninety nine percent perspiration, but we don't spend that one percent talking about inspiration. And and what I mean by that is talking about one problem in production, one problem in how we work together, and one opportunity to improve how we work together as a team, and one opportunity when it comes to new idea to improve the farm's uh, efficiency. And, you know, if you can get a family to proactively, I mean, coming back to that Edward Deming story, and I mean, this is taking forever, but I think it's really important to state, is that Deming got fired from Ford Motor Company because he said the problem isn't the people or anybody, any individual, the problem is with your process of expecting that this car is going to be perfect because what you're doing is encouraging a culture where you're as ashamed to, to, to make a mistake. The probability of perfection is zero. I can tell you that as a statistician. What we can do is we can change your culture though. So instead of making fewer, fewer mistakes, if you can get really aggressive and identifying these mistakes and actually fixing the fundamental issues, you will have fewer and fewer problems. And Deming got fired from Ford Motor Company because they didn't understand him, but he went over to this country called Japan, this little bombed out factory called Toyota. Yep. And even though the Japanese didn't speak the same language, they understood it. 
and they adapted the Toyota way. And that's what allowed the Japanese to almost overtake the American auto industry is ideas. They, they didn't have the resources like, uh, like America did, but they got more efficient because of the simple ideas from one Iowa farm boy. And what we, in order to have successful farms where you don't have problems, you as a family have to get really good at problem solving. And if you can have a family meeting once a month to identify one production problem, one problem and how you guys work together, um, your farm's going to be uh, so much more profitable and your family Christmas is going to be so much better as a result too. It's a good book too, The Toyota Way. That's a pretty good book. I highly recommend. Yeah. So check that out for sure. All right, man. So now you're you're looking at these different things, and um, families making decisions together. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, kind of what that looks like. But one of the biggest things that we're that we're I think kind of comes back to is how when you're sitting down with someone, you're really going through that, and you're trying to create that that culture of um, oh, what's that called? What's the word I'm looking for here? The uh, the culture of uh, Mine just went totally blank on me here. But you're trying to conflict. You're trying to create conflict, that culture where conflict's okay. You don't have to necessarily blow up and yeah. have a full on fist fight, but it's it's okay for, for me and Andy to have a have a little uh disagreement on each other and disagreement and work our way through that. Yeah. And you hear me out, I hear you out, and we kind of come together and figure out yeah. what the best, best way is because neither one that the thing about these arguments that you see with these family farms is that you don't wake up in the morning, Andy, going you know what? I want this farm to fail. I'm going to make the dumbest possible decision on the planet and I'm going to just totally sabotage the farm. And I'm not doing that either. But what I see and what you see are probably two different things just because of our perspectives and what we're doing on the farm every day and what our yeah. where we're at and the minutiae that we're part of. So stepping back and having that conversation with folks, how do you encourage that 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 culture of conflict, I guess, for lack of a better term? Um, how do you how do you get that going inside the family and, and how do you start coaching them through this is what conflict looks like and this is what conflict resolution looks like? Well, I think the, 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 the key thing I want to do is, is by you guys having a family meeting once a day to really like, if you like, let's say you have three partners and each partner tomorrow is going to work 12 hours. If, if you get really good at, at looking at that, not as, as how you're going to invest your day, but look at that. How are we as a family going to invest the 36 hours tomorrow? And what are the priority tasks we're going to do? And get really good at bickering about that. You know, and so I'd rather have a disagreement about, you know, is grandpa cutting the lawn or is he cutting hay? Right. You know, I'd rather have a disagreement about that and be able as a family to weigh the pros and cons together on small little decisions and get grandpa used to having a different opinion from the next, younger generation um, that's different than his own, but be able to see merit and be able to weigh the, I mean, learn the, the philosophy of there's many ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. Look, get the family used to looking at different options instead of everybody having the attitude is my way or the highway. Everybody being stubborn, at, not with each other, but stubborn at actually listening to each other and not talking over top of each other. Um, you can do that on a day, uh, weekly and a monthly basis. Um, then when it comes to big decisions in the long term, um, it, it won't be a problem at all. How many people do you work with that, that, that on the farm where there's multiple people involved all the way, you know, everybody, whether it's family members or hard people who are, that work on the farm, 
that you share share their calendars with everybody. They have one giant big shared calendar, and everybody's stuffs showing up on the calendar every day. Uh, quite a few, quite a few operations do that, and I mean, even even like um, even you know what? I just pulled up a text from from a farmer, and I'm going to actually pull it, read this out. This family, what, the one simple thing they did was they had a calendar in in their lunchroom. Um, so it was just a paper calendar. It wasn't even an electronic one, but they got a, they got a calendar and they, they wrote down the days that uh, different family members are off the farm. And that was a game changer because they had five uh, cousins farming together and they had several nieces and, and cousins coming in the operation. So they had 12 guys working there and they was just, they, I mean, they were, they had plans to get things done and they didn't, they didn't realize one partner wasn't going to be there or whatever. And so just that simple act in itself, I really think that for a family to share a calendar, um, I would encourage it to be electronic. But if you if you have a few family members that are old school, a paper calendar can be a huge thing, too, in a, in a central place. But this is actually that this reminds me about this, this, this family. Um, this is what the guy said. He says meeting every week for half an hour, which is Monday for us, has benefited us in numerous ways. Keep it short and to the point. It's important to be productive and organized for the week. We as individuals all know what needs to be done for the most part, but we also expected each other to be telepathic on what is most important, uh, more important or next up. The greatest minds in the world are only as good as what they can, they have to work around them. So letting each other know what you're thinking makes a huge difference. Talking about things to be done has led to better communication to the next generation on what needs to be done because, again, they're only as good as you want them to be. They're not mind readers. They're talented, but in the same way as generations before, communication on what needs to be done is, uh, on a daily basis is crucial. Can you make the, that work, or are you looking for something different? Well, I guess that's what he—that's <laughs> what he wrote to me. But the thing is, what I think is really important in that family, they had a weekly meeting on on Monday at seven o'clock in the morning, and it was about twenty minutes, and then they had that seven minute phone call, and they they adapted a mantra of make each day count. And it, they've gone from, they had 12 men and they've actually gone down to nine men and they haven't missed a beat. They've actually got more done because together they can work so much more effectively. And, yeah. and I think that that, and as far as succession planning is concerned, um, they had 40 year olds that still had no equity in the operation. We were able to sit down after three months of them, them daily um, discussing making decisions together and being able to, to have a monthly meetings. Uh, we, we actually in that situation, six months by us having six months of these types of meetings, they had spent $40,000 on succession planners, uh, lawyers. They had three different succession planners. So it was closer to $60,000 they had spent on, on professional fees. They had not a piece of paper signed. And there are some 40-year-olds that had no equity in the operation. And by us being able to get them to be able to make decisions together, we were able to do that. Not only that, but the nephews that are in the 25, they have a clear understanding of what the opportunity is and how they earn equity in the business going forward. And that farm has gone from a situation where they were bankrupt. They were just on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, five years later, they're going like gangbusters. And just because they got better organizing their time and better at listening to each other. I think it's a game changer. I mean, whether you're just coming home to the farm or, you know, if you're, you've been home for, for 15 years and you have a dysfunctional situation, 
you know, organizing your time and learning to listen to each other, getting stubborn at listening to each other instead of stubborn with each other is huge. All right, so we, we kind of hit about everything here that, that we had in our notes before we started talking about here. So Yeah, we, we went off topic, but I think that has been good. I, I think the one thing I want to talk about is quarterly review. Okay. And, and, and so, like I said, daily phone call, monthly meeting, quarterly review. And basically in that quarterly review, I want to identify with each partner um, what are three things that you can turn from weakness to a strength. So like in our character, I mean, um, especially with the successors as they come home, you know, so what I suggest for every family farm is that the first year that the son and daughter come home, that the parents give the, and the grandparents give the successor a quarterly performance review and they identify three, uh, whether it's a a incorrect belief, a character flaw or skill deficiency, they identify one of those three traits and they turn that from a weakness into a strength. So an incorrect belief might be, the belief that, hey, I can show up 10 minutes late after I'm supposed to be at, at the barn to do chores. Or, you know, a lot of farmers, the kids come home from college, they're supposed to be at the barn by 6 o'clock, they're not there till 6.30. What does that, I mean, and for the parent to say, hey, be at the barn five minutes before you're supposed to and be the last one to leave, that's changing an incorrect belief. And so if you go through the course of a month, uh, basically uh, over three months, I want to see a consistent change in behavior. And then either you pass and you go on to another set of values that we got to turn in your character from a weakness to a strength, or we have a discussion about, are you very serious about being a successor in this partnership? Right? Because the thing is, is that, you know, if you're consistently showing up late to work, or if you're consistently getting so angry, as far as a character, I'll give you an example of a character flaw, turning a, a molehill into a mountain and get so angry that your employees don't want to stay around there. Or if you have a skill deficiency, like you're um, not able to have a crucial conversation, you're passive aggressive, uh, you try to avoid conflict instead of, instead of dealing with problems proactively, you deal with them and fly off the handle reactively, Right. There's different skills that you have to learn. And I don't care how good of a person you are. Everybody's got 5% about the character that's got to be turned from weakness to strength. And when a son and daughter come home to the farm, they might have graduated top of their class at college. They might work really hard, but there's always opportunity for improvement. And I don't want to just see a son and daughter get a pat in the head by mom and dad. Hey, you're doing a good job. I want to get some critical feedback so they can go from good to great. Because over a two-year period, I want to see every, uh, basically th- um, three improvements every 90 days. And, you know, for, for son and daughter to, to you know, um, write out the goal, um, like, like address problems um, before they become bigger problems, right? So simply write that out and then grade themselves at the end of the day on a scale A to F. How did I do? Was I proactive in dealing with problems or did I... Um, was a passive aggressive and for them to evaluate, you know, there's going to be some days you give yourself an F, but then you give yourself the question, okay, tomorrow, what am I going to do different to change my behavior? And through that process, what you'll do is if you can take a successor and make 12 improvements to the character over the course of a year by having three, uh, by f- having four meetings where you have, uh, give three things for them to work on. 
they're going to have be such an asset that anybody, whether they're a family member or not, would want to in, in, include them as a partner in a business. They go from being an employee to being having an ownership mentality because they've taken ownership of turning their character from, I mean, to take your character and instead of looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking that you have a six pack, but really you have a keg around your belly. If you, if you take, if you take the ownership to self-improve, then you've got a, a future successor that is going to improve your farm and have a very successful uh, family life um, that anybody would want to be partners with. And I think that what's really important is that, you know, and the, the tr- there's got to be a trial period. Your family has to define how long that is. I would suggest it's about three, three years uh, or 9,000 hours, as I usually say. And basically what it is, is, is basically a three-year trial period where you got to be this tall to get on the ride. And if you're going consistently, showing up to the barn late, not self-improving, then we've got to have a discussion as a family. Okay, son, we love you, but you're not just cutting it here as a farmer, right? I mean, what career would you like to explore that we can help you encourage get into where you're going to be more happier and you're going to be more passionate? Because obviously you don't have the passion for what we're doing here. You know, it, dry, being a successful farmer is not just driving a tractor. It's about, you know, these little things like being pa- not being passive aggressive, these little things like like taking ownership to being able to show up to the job uh, job on time. These are the things that make or break a farm. And I want to have these discussions um, in a structured way. So I think the quarterly meeting uh, where there's a performance review is a huge thing. And look, if your son and daughter consistently have poor performance reviews, then you're not firing your son without your son and daughter knowing, not knowing why, and then not ever coming back to family Christmas 10 years down the road. They objectively know, you know what? I had the opportunity to, to take to join the business, but I just didn't, didn't, I wasn't this tall to get on the right. And, you know, they, they then can decide for themselves, what are they going to be more passionate about? And I think that that is really important. And also equally, after a year of the son and daughter going through this process, I think that everybody in the family should go through this right. because just because grandpa has a $40 million business to give to his granddaughter, if grandpa isn't willing to make a few tweaks to his character and be somebody that anybody would want to work with. Like I just had a farm yesterday where the, 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 the grandfather was trying to give his, 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 his successor an opportunity, but grandpa was constantly critical to the point of it really being a concern for the, the, the grandchild's mental health. And, you know, no farm worth millions of dollars is worth it if it's going to end up in somebody being suicidal or having a state of depression. So what I think is really important is that we all, instead of being entitled and feeling entitled to the farm and feeling entitled to having uh, each other's um, respect, we all be uh, looking at ourselves from a state of an underdog and realizing we're going to do whatever it takes to self-improve so that we can have this opportunity to work together. We got we to have this mentality of doing whatever it takes to be, uh, become the best version of ourselves so that we're the partner and friend anybody would want to work with. Yeah. I think that that's really important uh, as a third pillar of, of the fundamentals of how you come home and work on the farm. If you can get those three things in place, have a week a daily meeting, um, monthly, a monthly uh, time to, to make a few improvements to the, how you guys work together, a few improvements to the farm production standpoint, and once a quarter, evaluate performance. 
and really see yourself in the mirror for who you are and where you can make improvements, it, it's a game changer to the long-term success of the farm. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. All right, Andy, we've covered a lot of ground here talking about what you see happening there. Let's summarize this up real quick. Yeah. Talk about, you've talked about um, allocating time like it's money. You've talked about improvement on how to work together and, and what those improvements need to look like. And then you focusing on how and what, uh, I'm sorry, how you want to uh, better be a better partner every day. So I guess put a bow on all this, Andy, in, 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 in your kind of in your, in your training, yeah. what you do. I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the farm can be either heaven on earth or hell on earth. And, and I think the same with the marriage. I mean, it can either be heaven on earth and, or hell on earth. And the thing is, nobody gets married expecting to get a divorce. And nobody goes home to farm with their family. And the truth is, um, we know that we have 50% divorce rate um, when it comes to marriages. We really don't have a statistic as to how many uh, kids come home in their early 20s. By the time they're in their 50s, they're not farming. And uh, we don't really have a statistics on that. But I, I would say just reflect and think about your neighbors. And I think that you'll quickly come to the realization that at least half the young kids that are coming home on the farm, by the time they hit their 50s, they've, they've exited the industry. And they make, might make, make, make a big um, excuse as to whether they got a better paying job or the farm went broke or, or they just couldn't get along with a partner. What it comes down to is they got the same as – is we have this expectation that's going to be happily ever after. And that's just, just, I mean, for somebody to get married and expect everything's going to be perfect or for somebody to go home to farm with their family and expect everything's going to be happily ever after, that's just foolish. And what we got to be realistic about is that we got to anticipate that we're going to have problems. And what you got to do as a family, as a, as a, on day one, instead of having 10 years of bickering, and it going from bad problems to worse problems, you got to identify out front. Hey, we're gonna we love each other. We are a good family, but we got to do everything up front to have the good habits in place so we're problem solving before there's problems. So that whatever problems we encounter in the future, there's nothing we can't handle. And I think that you know, twelve percent of farms pass over from grandma's farm to the grandchildren, and it's pretty hard for us to imagine that, you know. I want a farm. There's no, I mean, I'm a seventh generation farm boy. The first white man killed in my county was on the back end of my farm back in 1832. I thought I, he died so I had, could have a right to farm. And when I went home, home to farm with my dad and we had the problems we had, I found out the hard way that nobody has a right to farm as a privilege. And the truth is, the statistics are that only 12% of farms pass over from grandma to grandchildren. You know, the same way you look at marriages. We don't really know how many people behind the barn are in happy business partnerships with their family. But the statistics are that 12% of farms are successful in passing over from grandma to grandchildren. I think it's truthfully only about 12% of families out there behind the barn, they're truly happy and working with, have successful business relationships. You know, and I think that instead of entering the relationship of farming with your family from a state of entitlement, we got to enter it with a state of humility and do everything we can um, to be proactive in problem solving and get the fundamentals in place so that the problems we encounter, there's nothing we can't handle. We've got to transition from parent-child to professional working relationship proactively instead of reactively. Sure. Right on. All right, Andy. Pretty good place to stop right there, man. Folks want to reach sure. out to you. 
more information about what it is you're doing at stubborn.farm, what's the best way to do that? Um, just go to the www.stubborn.farm. And my challenge is to you is, a, is stubborn making or breaking your farm. Right on. Okay. Well, Andy, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Absolutely. And, and if anybody wants a copy of my uh, free copy of my book, Bulletproof Your Farm, just go to my website and I'll give you a free copy. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Everybody likes free stuff. All right. And stuff that's going to help you too. So, all right. I'm Casey Seymour, Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check me out over on the YouTube channel. See the video version of this, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Check that out. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you're interested in going that, just there's a registration fee and a registration well, there's a registration fee, but just click on the registration key up there at the top and you can fill out all the information there and get all the uh, different stuff that's going on there and all the information as well. So something's there. If you have a question about what's there, send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com and I'll make sure to get back to you. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Andy Junkin. Let's move some iron folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century